Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, the greatest cricket podcast the world has ever seen. Asterix, not proven scientifically or anything, but still, we think it's pretty damn good. I am joined by the one and only Mr. Daniel Norcross, TMS legend that is Mr. Daniel Norcross. And I'm joined by Stephen Finn. Uh, another week, another Watford manager, Finney. What's going on? What's going on at your football club? They, they change managers more often than Dan Norcross changes his pants. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you only have to have a couple of years for that to be the case. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a tried and tested method, isn't it? They, they've got a model that works and, and we keep having success doing it. So why not? It's, it's weird, isn't it? Because from the outside looking in, everyone just berates Watford's uh, style. And yet all Watford fans go, well, seems to, seems to do the trick. So Watford fans seem absolutely fine. I guess you're just used to it by now. Yeah, I mean, you you don't build up too much of an affinity with your manager if you're a Watford <laughs> fan because there's half a chance that, that it will get the flick in a few months. But we've just got Claudio Ranieri, which would be a it should be a decent appointment, I hope. Who who knows? But the merry the merry go round continues. Never never a dull moment at Watford. Never a dull moment. Uh, now I will move very quickly on to cricket because I know you're listening to this because you want a cricket podcast on a football podcast. Very quickly though, Norcross is waving at me on Zoom. Norcross. What have you got to say for yourself? I just thought you were going to say hello, that's all. <laughs> I mean, because I've made a decision. I've come to a dis- I've come. I've had a few revelations this week. And, oh, you know, with hell. the tanks having invaded Poland and with the off-season having started, I've, I've had a time to reflect. And do you know what I think? Is that we spend too long being mean to each other, men. <laughs> and so for today's podcast, I'm just going to be really supportive and... And I'm going to amplify the things that you guys think and say. And I'm going to be really sensitive and kind. And uh, it's going to be a different kind of podcast today because I think it's a way forward. So I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be Mr. Nice Guy. And if you're mean to Finney, I'll I'll point it out. I won't tell you you can't do it, but I'll point it out. So that's a bit unfair. And if and if Finney gets a bit waspish, I'll say Finney, mate, chill, don't worry. 
relax. We all love you. So I'm, I'm just saying that. That's all. What have you been smoking? Yeah. <laughs> the usual well, stuff. Actually, it's uh, it's Amberleaf three in one. If anybody's listening to this from Amberleaf and would like to sponsor the program, do we do you still do tobacco sponsorship? I think that's one of the great things that's missing from life is the B and H Cup, the John Player League, and the uh, Dunhill Masters, and the Rothmans UK Snooker Championship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean you are right now because they've really clamped down on tobacco advertising, but. Gambling sites advertising all over the place. That's the new tobacco advert, really, isn't it? It's it's all gambling sites now. Um, I think I'm right in saying that the, the royal family are not allowed to have any advertising associated with them whatsoever. However, well, they're just one. They're one big advert. Well, Look exactly. At us, the royal family. They're they're advertising themselves. I thought Sorry, you were going to be gonna nice. Be, I was going to be, really be nice. nice. No. That last and why five shouldn't seconds. they? And why shouldn't they? After all, they put into this country since 1066. They've been very good in that respect. <laughs> Sorry, you forgot where you were there for a moment. This is going to be a fascinating social experiment to see if Norcross can not be a prick for 45 minutes. It's going to take. It's going to take some doing. Uh, I was going to say, I think quite famously, when one of the many royal children was born. Uh, Benson and Hedges took out the big advert just underneath the royal baby photo on the front page because that was the closest they'd ever be able to get to advertising with the royal family. So there's a very Ooh. famous royal family baby and underneath a big Benson and Hedges logo. Um, Finney, how do you feel about the concept of Norcross being being nice? And are you going to be nice to him in return? Um, no, probably not. I'm still bitter because <laughs> last week he he was claiming that he wasn't cheating at sixes, which I hold quite a big exception to. I'm not a big fan of cheating. So um, a leopard doesn't change his spots. And I'm sure that at some stage, as we just saw about 30 seconds ago, he'll slip back into his normal <laughs> self. So um, no. Finny, Finny, <laughs> the Lord loves a sinner who repents. And I've decided to repent now. I know it'll take what, a bit of a 140 years old? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I believe it's in the Bible. I think Methuselah was, probably had a bit of a dodgy childhood for the first four or 500 years before he turned things around. I mean, there's a redemption tale for us all. And look, I understand your scepticism. I really do. And uh, all I can do is tread my path and use my words, I think, to help you as well. Because I sense a bit of anger there, Finney. It's a bit of anger, and that's not good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. No, I like to call myself realistic, actually. And then um, I'd say I'm very realistic in my prediction. To be fair, you say you sense a bit of anger from Finney, but before you joined the call, Norcross, when it was just me, Finney and producer Sal, he was so, he was smiling, he was laughing away. The second you popped up on our little Zoom call, honestly, I watched the clouds form above his head. It's you that brings that side out of him, Norcross. That's the yeah, well, and, that, and that's why I intend, I intend to make him feel more comfortable <laughs> in future. So... Uh, and I'm just look. I'm just trying it out for size. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I'm I'm committed to it for the next well, half an hour. <laughs> well, I mean, the the thing is, you say you're repenting for your sins, Norcross. But I've watched you very carefully these last few years since we that fateful day where we were first introduced, and there there is no way that you could possibly even begin to scratch the surface of repenting all the many horrible abhorrent things you do on a daily basis by repenting for 40 minutes on this podcast you've got a lot of repenting to do sir the the, the longest march starts with a single step doesn't it and uh, that's what that's all i'm doing i'm just taking the first step on the re on the road to recovery and i think I think we could all take a leaf out of my book, actually. <laughs> it's a, sorry, it sounded for a second there like you were comparing yourself to Nelson Mandela, but of course, <laughs> of course, of course you wouldn't dare. 
Of course you wouldn't there. Um, now let's let's hurtle towards cricket and see if Norcross can keep up this charade much longer. However, I am very excited to say, so you may have heard us announce a few weeks ago that we are doing our first ever live show. It is happening 13th of November, Saturday, the 13th of November. It's a nice 5 p.m. as well, which suits all of us. It means we can be in the pub at six o'clock. And we have announced on social media this week our very special guest for our live show. Steve Harmison is joining us, which I think is absolutely awesome. 300 plus international oh. wickets. It's so much to talk about the time he smacked Ricky Ponting in the face on the first morning of an Ashes series. That slower ball to Michael Clark, that spell against the West Indies, that horrendous first ball of the Ashes down under. He had an incredible career. Uh, number one ranked fast bowler in the world at one point as well. And Harvey's going to be joining us on stage. So really looking forward to that. So Ticketmaster is where you can get your tickets. But yeah, it's going to be the three of us and Stephen Harmison as well. And it's going to be an awesome night. We're going to come up with some fun stuff for you. Let you have a bit of a Q&A as well. So you can you can ask Norcross the questions you've always wanted to ask him. Do you know, I think it's it's wonderful with Grumman because he's a lovely, genial fast bowler, isn't he? Of about six foot six, six foot seven. And I, I just think it'll be great for Finney. I think it'll really help him out and to try a new path, mm. try a path of geniality and uh, gentle giantness. Mm. Finney, I think it'll be marvellous. We, we can all learn a lot, I think, from Steve's attitude to life. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Finney, genuinely, Harbison, I mean, so you would have been, 2005 Ashes, you would have been, what, about 18 when that was happening? Maybe a no, bit younger. 16. A bit younger. 16. 16. 16 when that was happening. And obviously at this point, you know, your cricket sort of youth career is well underway. So Harmy must have been... I made, bit... my, I made my first class debut in 2005 at 16. Oh, really? Okay, so there mm. you go. So so that must have been 2005 Ashes must have been... I mean, Harmy's must have been a bit of a hero for you at that point. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, everyone used to want to bowl as quick as him and because he had a unique action. When you're in the nets messing around with your mates, you would always try and copy or I would always try and copy his action with both the arms going up and then coming over yeah so he, he's one of those guys that everyone was glued to the TV that summer watching it and I was one of those yeah I'm so that... glad you didn't stick with that though Finney because you wouldn't have been the same bowler if you'd done that and instead we get the live graceful listen way in which you did bowl so it's I think it's that's a marvellous thing by the way I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying this on the size I don't know I'm, I'm starting to quite like it <laughs> I feel so uncomfortable Norcross being nice it's really creeping me out we'll break him before this, this time is up uh, anyway Ticketmaster you can get the tickets but we'd love to see you there Saturday 13th of November uh, and if you know anybody else any cricket fans that would love to be there as well also very excited to say that we are going to be giving money from every ticket sold to the wonderful charity Lord's Taverners as well. We've spoken to them. Uh, we're going to be raising some money for Lord's Taverners with this event as well. So really look forward to being there. So if you, if like Norcross, you're a disgraceful, abhorrent human being, but you want to feel good about yourself for one day, buy a ticket to our event and you'll have raised some money for a wonderful cause. <laughs> this is great. We can say whatever we want and he, he can't reply. Now let's Well, get... I can, <laughs> I can, but I, was, I will always reply in a supportive way, Toby. And I'll just ask you to ask yourself whether you think those kind of, words are necessary but if, if you think they are then we'll continue with them i've um actually i've got something that might test your um niceness here so last tuesday after we'd had our net at sixes the night before um i went to a jewelry shop in central london and i uh, and i got my ear pierced Oh wow! Now now this is that is beautiful that is really beautiful actually <laughs> let's have a look 
I think I think that does wonders for you. Do you know what? And the wonderful thing about it is it's so understated because in a in a head of such I, what, what can I say? Colossal dignity as yours <laughs> to put something so delicate and small on there. It was it showed a lot of bravery, but actually it has really enhanced you, and it's made that ear one of my favourite ears. <laughs> now, Finney. Talk, talk to me about the thought process because we all hung out on Monday night and you didn't think to mention, oh, by the way, I'm getting my ears pierced tomorrow. You must have known about it by this point. What's triggered this? I mean, is it next? Are you going to be buying a motorbike next? It's getting to that stage, yeah, you know, moving to Brighton, having a small midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> it'd be a convertible sports car soon, I'd have thought. And, and yeah, so I, it was something that I felt like I wanted to try. I took inspiration from George Michael and getting the hoop. Um, and I look forward to potentially dangling something off it one day. You know, what, you know, one of those like very pretty dangle? charms. No, you can get like oh, a little yes. charm to hang off it. A stuff. feather. Um, yeah, you could do a yeah. feather. You could do a, a little stud or, or a Ooh, little chain of diamonds. I know what or... you could do. I know what you could do. You could do a little version of the person you've got out the most times. Who have you got out the most times? And you could get a little... You could get it made, specially made, mm. you know, like like Shane Warner as for Daryl Cullen, and if he does, he probably does. I think, but he should. I actually don't know. I think in international cricket, it might be Hashi Mamla. Oh, oh that'd be lovely, wouldn't it? You could have a wonderful sort of bearded, gilt, platinum figurine, just dangling from your ear like that. <laughs> and every time you saw him, you'd have to say that you meant it in the nicest possible way, of course, because it would be, wouldn't it? It would be because you were you know, honoured to have got him out so many times. It wouldn't be for, for any perverse or unpleasant motive, I'm sure. <laughs> that's not a bad little, uh, that's not a bad little bunny to have there, Hashim Amla. I guess, you know... We might need to corroborate that, but I, I got him out a few times. Let's go with it. It's a good one. Well, and, and more yeah. importantly, Finney, more importantly than mine and Daniel's opinion, which let's be honest, is worthless in all walks of life, but especially, in, you know, when it concerns you, what does your much better half think of this um, change of fashion direction? Um, she asked me what the fuck I was doing when I told her I was doing it. <laughs> but then she came to get it with me. Uh, we went to the world-renowned jewellers Maria Tash in Liberty in London to get it done. And when I came out with it, she was actually didn't mind it and thought it looked okay. So, yeah. Is it sore Just about at all? getting away with it. It, it was it sore. sore. It's, it's fine now. It's fine now. It was sore for a couple of days, but... Okay. Can flick it flick it around now. Well, you know what we are gonna have to do, Finney, is um after this podcast has gone out, we are gonna have to ask the good people of social media what they make of, of this of this upgrade. Okay. Just just I just want to just see what the lay of the land is in that in that regard, you know. I'm I'm keeping Stum for now and Norcross is being overwhelmingly positive about it. So that's the most important <laughs> thing. Uh well, from Finney's uh midlife crisis uh, aside, the other big cricketing story this week is the Ashes and will it or won't it happen? It's all been kicking off this week. There was a statement put out by the England Wales Cricket Board um, at the time of recording, actually, earlier this morning. We were recording Monday afternoon, which was the most pointless statement in the history of statements being put out. It basically, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, basically said, we still don't know what the hell we're doing. We're going to have a meeting. Fuck knows. We'll let you know later in the week what we come up with. Um the one big thing is uh, Tim Payne, who's, you know, not a shy man. He's certainly not a shy man, um, considering that he's actually done sod all in his test career, rather than um, bat down at seven and average about 10 for the last few years. Um, but he's, he's not shy uh, in coming forward. And he criticised 
subtly, I suppose you could say, Joe Root, because Joe Root said he wasn't sure if he was going to be flying down to the Ashes. Joe Root said he wants to be there, of course, but he doesn't know how it's all going to be. And Tim Payne basically said, well, tough if Joe Root's there or not, the Ashes is going ahead. Now, I thought Nasser Hussain wrote a very good article criticizing Tim Payne, actually, which I mean, I like any article that criticizes Tim Payne, to be honest. But Nasser essentially said, I don't think the Australians are in any position to lecture England about playing test matches, considering that throughout the pandemic, England have played 18 test matches and Tim Payne's men have played just four, all of them at home. England, to their credit and the ECB's credit, have tried to fly the flag for test cricket throughout the pandemic and not let the already struggling format disappear completely. Uh, and the Australians, well, I mean, Dan's mentioned it several times. They're always looking for excuses to not play cricket and whinge their way off tours, aren't they, Dan? Well, this is going to be interesting. You've got to be nice about the Australian cricket team here. Well, I don't have to be, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm going to be because I think it's important that you've got to understand they've not been in that country for a very long time. I mean, they've only been there a couple of hundred years and they're still sort of finding their feet, you know. And they do get naturally quite scared. If you think about Shane Watson when he was over here, he got spooked by a ghost, didn't he? And uh, Don Bradman got very, very scared by English bowlers. And it's just a sort of natural fear factor. If you've ever been out to Australia, you know, there's, there's somebody there who'll fine you for crossing an empty road because the red man sign is still there. So they're naturally cautious people. They're a little bit like, you know, five-year-olds when they go to school for the first time. So I think you've got to treat them <laughs> like that and, and be a little bit more generous because they're, they're timorous, desperate people. And, uh, and they've also, you know, they've had a bit of trouble with the virus as well. And uh, they've been shut down in Melbourne for the longest shutdown. Well, you'd expect it, wouldn't you, really? Of course you would. But they've had the longest shutdown in the world. So um, it's no real wonder that they haven't left Australia. I mean, they've been traditionally scared by Bangladesh. And I mean, Vinny will attest to the fact that it's a tough place to go. You can lose matches in Bangladesh. Australia, like, again, like five-year-old kids, if you ever play games with them, it's best to try to let them win isn't it, really? And that's really the source of Australia's success over the last 140 years has been the, the need, I think, for the wider cricket community to show some generosity to these effectively infants, bless them. And um, <laughs> where Tim Payne is coming from is much that. It's a sort of infantile squawk, which you'll get. And it's up to us, I think, to put it into that perspective and help them out. Um, I think what, what NASA was saying was that it showed a remarkable lack of empathy. But it's not remarkable. Again, if you, you, most five-year-olds aren't very empathetic. So, yes, there is a lack of empathy there. And England's cricketers, I think, are not understood in Australia. But I think you, were, you slightly undersold the statement that the ECB put up because the very last bit of it said, had a telling paragraph, didn't it, about being able to put out a side, being able to put out a side, that would be worthy of the contest. So there was a little bit of just suggestion to the five-year-olds that, you know, calm down with the tantrum. We've got to get these things sorted out because we've got to be able to put out a proper side because really, you know, that's the way the series has got to go. Malcolm Conn weighed in on this subject, claiming that there have been many previous Ashes series which have had perfect sides. In the 78-79, Australia were ravaged by a packer. 
for example, you know, Greg Chappell didn't come over in 77. He was likening that to if Joe Root doesn't go, it doesn't devalue the ashes. It's still a valuable content. But I think what the ECB were doing there was just trying to win as many concessions as possible for the England players who have got understandable reservations about spending two weeks in quarantine. And more importantly, the reservations about moving from state to state. Because you know, The England Women Netball series was cancelled against Australia because of actually moving around Australia. What I would say, because I obsessively check vaccine stats every day and listen to Australian federal politicians more than I possibly should do, is that uh, there's a general consensus upon reaching 80% double vaccination, then states will stop with their shutdowns. So what we'll find is that by the middle of December, well, actually by the, the end of October, Victoria and New South Wales, certainly New South Wales will be double vaccinated to 80% Victoria shortly after. The real problem of this whole tour lies in starting in Brisbane because Queensland has got the slowest vaccination rates. They're not due to finish getting to 80% double vaccination until the 7th of December, which is one day before the test match series is due to start in Brisbane. And the simplest solution to all this would be to begin, I say simple, it involves shifting the schedule out but if you want to retain the integrity of the ashes and make it work while we're going through a pandemic with ever-changing situations then start in melbourne on the 26th and then go to sydney and by that stage you'll be able to go to south australia next and if queensland and western australia who have taken very different approaches to the, the virus they've tried to stamp it out completely if they're still demanding quarantine to go into those states, then schedule two test matches, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, at one of the two different grounds. There's two big bash league teams in Sydney and Melbourne. There's two perfectly serviceable test grounds you could play the other two test matches in. And so then it would be a tour around three cities, but in five different grounds. And you'd do it with minimal disruption, minimal quarantine. Uh, the players and the broadcasters would be able to move freely between the states. And it's even possible that some English fans would be able to get over because New South Wales and Victoria are talking, starting to talk about people coming in from abroad and if they're double vaccinated, having much smaller quarantine requirement. That to me would seem to be the, the right approach. But I think what the ECB statement was doing was sort of trying to, to tease out more concessions. I say concessions trying to make the series work better than insanely. I say insanely. I don't mean insanely. Australians do what they do. It's their country they're entitled to. But why they're starting in Queens, this is very hard. Why they're starting in <laughs> Queensland, I'm not entirely sure, put it that way. I, I think the problem you've got there, though, Norcross, is that your solution and idea, and this is most unlike you, actually contains a large amount of common sense and as we've learned over the years, that cricket boards are often severely lacking in common sense. So it will be fascinating to see what's going on. And it's a bit of a mini off the pitch battle, this between the ECB and the Australian cricket board as well. There's a lot of ego in play. Um, you know, the Ashes war has already started a little bit. It started in the boardrooms before it starts on the pitch. Uh, I, I, I am very hopeful. I really do hope that it's still going to go ahead uh, at the end of the year because I want to watch some bloody cricket and I love the Ashes, even if we are going to get absolutely pumped. Um, Finney, I've got to ask you that obviously this last 18 months has been particularly trying on cricketers. But even before COVID, what a beautiful time it was, pre-pandemic, before we'd ever heard of this bloody thing, 
do you think cricketers play too much cricket? It certainly looks from the outside like they do. But at the end of the day, when you're all cricketers and you are playing, you know, all three formats for your country, do you, do you notice it or do you just want to play games of cricket? That's what you're paid to do. That's your profession. Um, no, you do definitely notice it because you just become mentally fatigued. I think trying to concentrate as hard as you have to during international sport, I think at that level, I think it's difficult to maintain that and to maintain performances for a long period of time. So I think that's why guys now, I think the rest and rotation is really important to try and keep people fresh and to give them some longevity in their career. But there is also elements of the fact that when you're in form, you realise that cricket is such a sport where that you do go through periods where you're struggling and then whilst the sun's shining, you certainly want to try and make hay. So there, there are arguments on both sides of the fence, but I believe that well-being should be the number one priority when it comes to this. And I do think that it's going to see the birth of more specialist cricketers. Um, and I know we're seeing that now a lot more than we did even five years ago. But I still, I, and I, I believe that there will be more and more people who will start specialising in either test matches or T20s. 50 over cricket, I know we're the world champions, but I feel like that is the, the ugly brother in regard to formats at the moment. And whether that has any longevity or uh, in the course of the next five or 10 years, um, if something was to drop out to make room for all these T20 leagues, I'd say it's probably going to be 50 over cricket. Can I, can I just ask one thing of you? And, and this is reported. So these aren't my thoughts, but Michael Afton and Mark Butcher have talked a bit about how uh, we talked a lot about player welfare, but the players themselves are contracted to England. So they're getting paid an annual salary to do stuff. And if you, um, if you decide to duck out of tours, if somebody, for example, in an office job, decided they didn't want to go to Rotherham because they felt unsafe there for some reason, then their boss would probably have a word about it. Do you think, I'm slightly paraphrasing, but their point is that player power is now very different from the way it was 20 years ago when they were playing because players got paid by their counties and then they got paid by the ECB or the TCCB, if they're that old, to play per game. Now, that does seem to me that there's a there's a slightly different onus, isn't there, on the players? But do you think that the players are, un, are wielding unfair power or is, is a balance okay? What do, you, what do you make of that? No, well, the players are the commodities, aren't they? I suppose they're the people that, that people turn up to watch, tune in on the TV to watch, and people want to see the strongest team possible playing all the time. And I think the players are obviously aware of that. As far as I'm aware, the contracts work that each player has a retainer, whether it's a red or a white ball contract, and then you're paid match fees on top of that. So if you are missing out on tours, then you're not being paid your match fees, um, which do significantly bump up your salary as an England player. But I don't know if the players are aware. I've not actually spoke to any of the players about whether they're aware that they have the power, but I certainly feel as though it's almost going to be a requirement of broadcasters that the, the strongest team is available for certain series for um, in order to get those viewing figures up and, and the sponsorship money that comes from that, which I think then is directly linked to what the players get paid. So nothing really revolves in this scenario without the big England players. I guess 
what their, the main crux of their point is that you can understand people being paid sick leave. So, for example, Ben Stokes has got issues that he needs to deal with and no one objects to him being paid his contract in exactly the same way as having an injury while you've got your, your contract. But if you, if you choose not to go on a tour because it'll be a bit awkward getting your family out there and you won't spend enough time with your family, is that sufficient reason, I guess, to continue to be paid for not playing. I think that was the point that they were sort of latching onto. And um, I can see the point they're making. I'm not quite sure if I totally agree with it, but I can see the point they're making. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't agree with that, no, because I think in terms of money-wise, you're foregoing your tour fee. So I'd say that's enough of a thing. And, I, and I'd imagine that they, the guys probably get paid more than what I did five, six years ago now but it would be a significant sum that you're missing out on. So you're making that decision first and foremost, and there is monetary loss for you not going. But I also think that the, the nature of cricket and the nature of the fact that we're the only country or team that are from the Northern Hemisphere, so we play literally 12 months a year. There's never a window to be able to miss. And I know we've got the IPL problem that now that would be the one window for players to take a step away um, and to have a break. But I think it's unfair to put that upon people in such a short career to be able to miss out on those opportunities to play with the best players in the world and to get paid handsomely to, to do it. But I do think that us as England are in an awkward position because of where we are and our proximity and our location in the world means that we don't have periods where there's an opportunity to take a step back. So I do think that that also plays a part in people having to be sensible in the way that they manage their time. Because also, if you're expecting people to play 12 months a year, especially with what's happened in the last 12 months, these guys' careers are going to be shorter and, and ultimately you're going to see less of them as fans and supporters and broadcasters than you would if you just let them play and get completely burnt out and end up on a scrap heap somewhere not really knowing what to do. So um, I do believe it's a very delicate balance, but I don't particularly agree with those guys' viewpoints that they um, that they raised in the newspapers. You've hit it's a really, that's a really important point you make. Sorry, sorry, Toby. It's a really important point you make, Vinny. If you, if you look at all the stats going back through cricket history, the most number of runs scored, the most number of wickets taken, it's always Englishmen. And it's not because they were necessarily the best players. It's because they played, they played a, a chock-a-block county season from April to September. And then they could go away and they would play elsewhere as well. And so the, the toll that we put on English cricketers is quite significant, isn't it? And it has been going on, actually, since the dawn of cricketing time for that very reason. I felt that definitely when I played for England and I spent, I think, seven or eight years being on pretty much every tour that there was for England in every format. I think I only missed maybe one test tour and, and a couple of ODI tours Um over the course of eight years or seven or eight years with England. So I was away. I might not necessarily played all the time, but I was away in those scenarios. And, and it does catch up with you. You do spend this your entire life just living on this cycle of getting up, training, move to the next place, play a game, train, move to the next place. And it becomes this thing that becomes actually means you don't enjoy the game as much as maybe you did before, which then affects your performance and then affects what people see when you're out there on the pitch. So it's definitely a very delicate balance to find the balance for, for us up here in the Northern Hemisphere. And I don't envy the guys now with everything else that comes with it. I really don't envy them and the position that they're 
that is thrust upon them um, and the spotlight that's thrust upon them when trying to make these decisions. It is really difficult. You've hit the nail on the head there because that is why cricket is so different to all other sports because, you know, footballers play a lot of football now, but they always get their summer. Even if there's a major tournament, they get a few weeks every summer. But English cricketers, there's absolutely no respite whatsoever. And even since you stopped being in the England team, the rest of rotation thing is really new. It's only been happening the last few years, which I think why there's been a bit of pushback from fans because fans, look, we are, we're assholes, right? We're unsympathetic assholes a lot of the time because Finney's nodding very keenly. Yeah, but you know, this is, you know, we are. This, is really, this is rubbing off on you, Toby. You know, you're, you're, you're coming to confess we are assholes and we must yeah. embrace that and understand that and try to mend our ways. I'm delighted. This is going so well, this podcast. Some of us more than others. Like, you're a massive asshole. I'm just a small yeah, asshole. Yeah, <laughs> I might have been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but genuinely, I mean, you know, we sit here on this podcast, Dan and I have been very sympathetic to the England players and talking about rest and rotation. But when you really, if you actually shone a light in my eyes and slapped me around a bit and tried to get the truth out of me, the fact is, as a cricket fan, if it was down to me, there'd be 52 test matches a year and all the best England players would play in it every single week. And I would never not be able to turn on my TV and see cricket because I bloody love cricket and I like watching it and I want it to be on all the time. And so that it's supply and demand. So fans want cricket. And how do you give them more cricket? Well, you create more cricket matches. And then what happens is there's even less rest for these guys, as we talked about. Um, and I think we've learned so much in recent years. I mean, even you look at old football teams, you know, when you look at the old Liverpool teams of the 80s, it was the same 11 every week. Now, the Klops and Guardiolas of this world understand the rotation, not just the physical like the physical time off players need, but the mental aspect is huge and just, you know, having a bit of time away from the game. And that's why they rotate players now in, in modern football. One other thing, Finney, I want to ask you about is, I guess the other problem with the sort of rest and rotation, the difficult aspect is, you talked about when you're in good form. On the flip side, if you've just got into the England team, you assume, presumably every single training session, you are trying to impress your coach and try and suck up to the coaches and throw yourself around in fielding training and bowl as quickly as you can in the nets. And if you're just in the England team, you're never going to really turn around to your coaches and be like, I could, I could do with a couple of games off here. I think it'd be really good for me because you just, you don't want to give that wrong impression to your coaches. That must come into it as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been in positions and I actually find myself in this position a fair bit where it's, as a player, even if you know you're not 100% fit, it's very hard for you to turn around and say to the coach, if you know that you're in their first 11 and say, I'm just not right to play this game because it's an opportunity that you're passing up and an opportunity that you're giving to someone else. And there have definitely been instances where I, as a player, have almost refused to make the decision on me missing a game through injury. And I've said, look, I, I will go out there and play and I don't want to be the one if it's a borderline call to sit here and feel and walk away from it and feel as though I've been, and it's a very old school way of thinking about it, but weak in terms of being like, it's going to pull the ladder up because I don't fancy it. I would never want that to be the perception of me. So I would always say to the physio, I was like, look, I'm going to say that I'm fine to play here. And if you believe strongly that you think there's a chance that I might get injured, then as a result of having a niggle, then then you have to make the, like, then I'm comfortable with you making the call to pull me out. But I, I can't make that decision myself because I can't pass up the opportunity to play a game of cricket for England. Um, so there were a few instances where on the morning of a game, you'd be having a fitness test. Then there's one in particular in Nottingham against South Africa. I think it was in 2012, actually. 
and and I had a like a stiff back, I get like a grumbly back sometimes. I still do now. And and I was like, look, I can get through the game. Um, and the physio was like, look, we've got a lot of cricket coming up. Let's not risk it. We're pulling you out. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't quite feel right with this, but I trust your decisions and your judgment. Uh, and yeah, the players sometimes find it very hard to pull themselves out is the waffled way that I've explained that. And, and Finney, how do you think that made you feel, this tension between what you wanted to have happen and, and what you couldn't control? Do you think it in any way it fueled an anger inside you? <laughs> yeah, it did. It, it fueled an anger for partly balding middle-aged men smoking <laughs> cigarettes on Zoom, actually. That's what I found. It made me very angry at them. Sounds quite irrational, but nothing irrational about it. No, I can, I can, I can, I can feel Philly on that one. <laughs> that they, those guys really fuck me off as well. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go back to something actually way, way, way back, way, way back to at the start of the podcast because I had a question for you that I wanted to ask at the time. So uh, Norcross was, uh, you know, despite saying he was going to be lovely this whole podcast comparing the Australians to five-year-old infants repeatedly. Um, however, it is interesting because the Australians, they kind of build themselves up around this um, tough, tough guy demeanour, you know, the ponting sort of guys and that whole, you know, scary, intimidating, great Australian side of the late 90s and noughties and stuff. Uh, genuinely, are there any blokes that you've come up against on a cricket pitch, not necessarily internationally, county, international, ever, who you are like, he actually is a tough, intimidating bastard, him? There was... You put me on the spot there. There's um, not many guys would would know this bloke. I think there's a guy called Dan Birch who used to play for Derbyshire. Dan, you might remember him. Yeah, I think I do. But yeah. I, it, sorry, yes, but um, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I didn't know him. I remember seeing him, but I, I wouldn't say I knew his personality. Tell me more. Mm. Well, this so like 13 years ago, not many people had like tattoos all down their arm and and stuff. It, you you look like an intimidating bloke if you had that anyway. And one of my best mates, Billy Godelman, was fielding at short leg. I think a Murley Kartik was bowling. Murley Kartik, a beautiful left arm spinner, could change his pace without changing the pace of his arm speed. So so his arm would come over, and, and this guy Burge. I think they got him out of club cricket or something and he would have never faced anything like Murley Carter before. And Billy was under the helmet, like basically laughing at him, being like, oh, you, how bad are you? You are shocking, aren't you? And then all of a sudden this birth bloke just turned around, pointed his bat at him and said, I'm going to take you to the fucking car park later. And, and I was like, <laughs> stood at mid-off. I was like, oh shit, okay, he might actually do that. He looks really intimidating. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, did, did, did anybody perhaps learn that that just an unsolicited takedown of someone's ability to do their job might have caused this angry reaction because <laughs> Billy Goldman maybe needs to think next time about just laying into somebody for no apparent reason, for no apparent reason. I mean, we're all here to enjoy ourselves. To be fair, Norcross, there he I've, is. I've just Googled image a photo of Dan Birch and I reckon he gets angry pretty easily. He looks like yeah. <laughs> he's definitely killed before. All the more reason <laughs> yeah. not to chirp a short do, leg. Do you know, I, I once played in a game, uh, I played for, for my club against our local rivals, literally down the road, Oxshot, Oxshot Village, our big rivals. Oh, yes. And we played them in a... against them once. Uh, did you? Well, there we go. Yeah. There's this... a total road, that pitch. Absolute road it was. I Oxshot think even Village. I got some runs there once, so it must be. Yeah. Well, I played in a game once and uh, this guy came out to bat and similar vibe actually. He came out, tattoos on both arms. 
And uh, I was there and my fellow opening bowler, a guy called James Miller, who's about six foot seven, 20 stone, bowled about 90 miles an hour. Fastest figure I've ever seen at club cricket. He played one year for us to call his wickets at 11 and then, and then went back to South Africa. Um, and I'm having a bit of fun at the batsman's expense, who's playing and missing a lot. James Miller, the opening bowler, is absolutely gunning for this guy who's just come out. He's letting him have it, repeatedly letting him have it. Eventually, the guy gets out and uh, I share a laugh with Miller, the opening bowler. And the guy turns around as he's walking off and he turns around to me and he looks at me and he goes, I'll be fucking waiting for you over the boundary, you prick. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going, hang on. I was like, I wasn't that bad. And then I looked, he obviously looked at me, looked at Miller and went, well, obviously I'm going to go for that one, not the massive South African guy. So sure enough, about two balls later, the innings is over. So I'm walking off on the boundary and he's waiting for me. Absolutely. Steam coming out of his ears, waiting for me in the clubhouse doors, right? So it's a long walk off a cricket pitch when there's a bloke who wants to knock your head off waiting for you in the doorway. So as I get up to him, I'm thinking, you know, one of those things, he's angry on the pitch. He's probably calmed down now. You know, we'll shake hands now. He has not calmed down. If anything, he's, he's angrier than, than, than when he were on the pitch. So he goes, right, come on then. You're not so fucking big now, are you? So I walk past him and I go, mate, it's a game of cricket. I said, calm down. I carry him walking. Next thing I hear is a commotion behind him. He's chasing after me down the hallway of our cricket club, being held back by about 10 blokes, swinging a cricket bat wildly at me down the hallway. And anyway, I did, I did the manly thing and I went and hid in the changing room until he calmed down. <laughs> well, that was, that, was, that was exactly the right thing to do, Toby. But I hope you wrote a sort of letter to him afterwards explaining, you know, that, it, that you weren't yourself when you joined in that pylon while he was just playing a game of recreational cricket. He just had his day off. And you and your friend decided to be a bit mean, didn't you? So I hope you had a chance to have a little think about that and maybe send him a little note and say, I entirely understand why you, you got so angry and I take full responsibility for it. But maybe also you need some anger management training because um, you sound like you're a complete <laughs> maniac. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I never thought I'd say this, really, but I miss, I miss Norcross when he was a prick. Yeah, this is painful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's painful for you. Sorry, painful for you. <laughs> um, anyway, very quickly, lads, I will let you go, but um, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Norcross, with your considered journalistic, broadcasting, brilliant cricketing brain on, uh, right now, what do you mm. think is going to happen with the Ashes Down Under? If I was going to push you for a genuine answer, what do you reckon it looks like at the moment? I think it'll take place because there's an enormous amount of money involved in making it happen. I think that there will be... A, England will get the best possible outcome that they could have got. They've made their depositions to Cricket Australia and they're trying to make the best possible conditions they can be. Cricket Australia aren't going to try and make things worse because they want England to come over. Uh, there, are pro there are genuine cultural problems and political problems in Australia at the moment because they're at a different stage of the pandemic from where we are because they've taken longer to vaccinate and so they they are sort of a little bit like where we might have been in April and May sort of thing. and yet we know that the future looks like July and August which is you basically give up you let the entire country run rampant and hope it's okay because you've vaccinated enough people that's essentially Britain's essay fair approach and eventually every country that has a strong vaccination program will have to come to realise that including New Zealand because suppression to the point of zero is impossible, but you have to allow countries to come around to it politically because you've got to understand that Australians themselves are in a different place. So, you know, three quarters of them 
have got no truck with the idea of the English complaining about this, not just because they're Australian, but because their lived experience has been really harsh. If you've been in Melbourne, you've been in the longest lockdown in the world. Get your head around that, and it's a proper lockdown. So obviously where they're at is different. I think it'll happen. I think there will be some English players that won't go. I don't think that England won't be able to put out a perfectly serviceable team of, of players who have played Test cricket or would have played Test cricket in the future anyway, because, you know, that's the way it is. And you, the England have, have gone on tours before where Gooch has missed the tour and Botham's missed the tour. Big name players have missed the tour. England went on three overseas tours after uh, the South African Rebel Tour in 1981-2, where all those players were unavailable. So cricket gets by and cricket will happen, um, mostly because there's hundreds of millions of Australian dollars that rest on the series being played. I'll tell you what, though, it could be a great opportunity for some people. And if enough players drop out, we could be looking at an England touring Ashes side containing Stephen Finn, Darren Stevens, and Dan Birch. Oh. And, what, and what a side that would be. <laughs> I'll tell you, what, we wouldn't get beat up anyway. We wouldn't get any altercations. <laughs> I just took a screenshot. Look at, the, look at the size of him here. Look, I couldn't send it to the WhatsApp group because WhatsApp's down. WhatsApp's down at the moment. Yeah. Oh, my word. I'm, yeah, I'm he good. is absolutely it's... massive, but, it, but in a stout and noble way. He, he's making that cricket bat look like a toothpick. Fucking size of him. Uh, the size of his forearms. They're like my, like my unit. And Billy, Gold, Billy Goldman decided to go for him, did he? <laughs> yeah, well, Billy, I wouldn't be messing with Billy either, to be honest. But <laughs> I'd, I'd just always pick on the off spinner. Just always pick on the off spinner. That's that's my advice. If you're going to be mean, <laughs> be mean to the off spinner. Uh, on, that, on that very positive note, I'll leave you chaps to it. Uh, Norcross, lovely to see you. I hope you go back to being a complete and utter bastard next week. Uh, well, and, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've got to say, this has been the worst experience of my life. <laughs> well, I genuinely don't think I'm going to be able to, I, I, Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that, Finny. I'm glad. Actually, I'm, actually, you're turning me the other way again. Don't be like that. Hey, I'm, I'm really confused. I've got to do the Cricket Writers Club lunch tomorrow. That's why I'm trying to be all consensual because I'm doing the, I'm, I'm emceeing the Cricket Writers Club lunch, which is going to be a fantastic occasion where we bring all the broadcasters and writers together in, in the spirit of fellowship. And the thing is that I know full well that uh, one half is arguing with the other half over the rights and wrongs of the hundred. And I've decided that I want to try to bring peace and harmony to the cricket world. And I hope that today he would help me do that. But actually, both of you have shown me that the entire fucking system is rotten to the core. <laughs> Humanity doesn't deserve my help. Fuck the lot of you. <laughs> and, and on that note, see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.